Good morning. Today's first reading is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 6 through 10. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me than what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. So this week is the final week in our five-week series about neurodiversity in the Bible. About how not just our, our, our bodies are different, but also our brains and our personalities are different too. We've talked about how these differences can be blessings even as they cause challenges, and how all the heroes of faith in the Bible aren't these saintly, halo-like, perfect people, but they are people like us. And you definitely see that in the way that each different writer in the Bible writes differently. I mean, all the different books are, are, are written by lots of different people. I mean, some of them start with beautiful word pictures. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void. Beautiful. Some, like Paul, begin with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Others, like the, the John, the gospel writer, starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He starts with theology. Matthew is different, as Allison read for us today. He starts... Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerubbabel, and Tamar, and so forth. And I imagine, with the exception of Allison, all the rest of us zoned out within the first five names. Right? But each of the disciples, each of the heroes of faith in the Bible, are different, and Matthew is one who is detail-oriented. Matthew is one that we believe actually kept a, a, a book of quotes that as Jesus said really smart, wise things, Matthew would immediately write it down. And later on, when even the other gospel writers like Luke and Mark are writing their gospels, they're referring back to those things that Matthew wrote down. And so Matthew, like so many in the Bible, is different. If you've seen the, the TV show, The Chosen, it's a, it's a TV series um, depicting the life of Jesus and, and many of the stories. 
the character who plays Matthew is different. And I, and I love that about that show. The first time that we see Matthew in that show, he's looking through his wardrobe at this line of clothes, all of them which are these white robes that are exactly the same hung up in his wardrobe. Then he goes over to his shoes, which are nice and neatly, perfectly lined up. Several pairs of the exact same shoe and puts them on. And then he goes out and locks his door several times. And then out on the street, he weaves his way, trying to avoid being close to anybody. And, and he has some perfume that he put on his wrist, and he smells it when he gets nervous, when he gets too close to people. Matthew is depicted in that show as one who finds the world overwhelming and finds security in order. And he's exceptionally brilliant. You can't be a tax collector without being a really smart guy, without, not, without knowing a lot of math and facts and figures, things like that, especially in a time when there were no calculators. It's not really a job that he likes, but it's a job that he's good at, one that he feels he can do, even though among his people, being a tax collector makes him feel like a betrayer to the Jewish people. But he already felt like an outsider. Later on in The Chosen, there's a place where he's talking to another disciple, Philip, and, and Matthew draws a picture of a circle in the dirt on the ground, and he says, here's a circle. It represents everything in the world and all the people that have ever been. And then he points to a place outside of the circle and he says, and that's me. That's how I feel. Matthew is depicted as one who struggles with people and so he withdraws into his world of numbers and facts and figures and rituals. And I don't claim to say that that's exactly what the original Matthew was like, but I think there are clues, especially like the beginning of our gospel that we heard today, that it may not be too far off, that there were people like him even then. Some of the things that Matthew does in that show look a lot like OCD. Now, we tend to think of someone who has OCD as someone who checks the stove 20 times or, or can't step on cracks. And it can be those things, but it's not always that. Sometimes it's simply liking order. And that if there isn't perfect order, something might go wrong. It's wanting things to be right as if there is a right. Sometimes it's about thoughts getting stuck in our minds, a broken record that plays the same thing over and over and we can't get it out. And we all experience stuckness in our minds sometimes. Well, that doesn't mean we all have OCD. Sometimes we, we kind of joke about it, you know, that we're having an OCD moment. And we have to be careful, though, that we don't minimize when people are really struggling with the things they're going through. Challenges that are not just psychological, but biological. That aren't just solved with positive thinking. At the same time, many of us, I think, struggle with perfectionism. Feeling like we have to do things a certain way, otherwise they're not complete. 
over not good enough. OCD and perfectionism, they're similar, but they're also different. They both involve compulsions, even as the source of the compulsions might be different. One of the tools for dealing with OCD is talking back to it, is fighting disinformation with truth. Sometimes compulsions in OCD involve rituals that lessen anxiety, but sometimes do the opposite, because we get afraid that if we can't do the ritual, that something bad will happen. A lot of us, when we try to be in control, when we try to be perfect, when we try to do things right, that becomes our ritual and our compulsion to try to be perfect. Now, many of us ask questions about, you know, that that story of Adam and Eve and why God puts that tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden and then tells Adam and Eve not to eat it. When God knew that it was going to be tempting, why even put that temptation there? But I think God put it there and told them not to eat of it, not to keep them subservient. But that was God's gift, because God didn't want people to have to feel like they always had to know right and wrong, that they always had to be perfect, they always needed to be right. That was the temptation. And God knew how bad that is for us when we try to feel like we need to know everything. If we can do everything, if we can do it all right, that means that we are omnipotent, and that is the definition of God. And so one of the gifts of God's grace is that we don't need to be God, because we have a God who frees us from having to have it all together. I mean, besides, let's think about it this way, too. It would be really unfair to the rest of the world if you were perfect. If you could do everything right, it would be really unfair to the rest of us. And so God says, you don't need to be. Paul, in our first reading, he says, A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. I think that's perfectionism summed up pretty well. This compulsion, this torment that we're not good enough. The pain of not living up. And God's response is what I told those kids, that my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, for whenever I am weak, then I am strong. It's not a bad motto. Back in one of the other episodes of The Chosen, when another time when Philip and Matthew are talking, Philip says, what you think you know, it doesn't matter. Only that Jesus chose you. That's where your confidence comes from now. And Matthew begrudgingly replies, I know he knows what he's doing. I just wish I did. Now, I suppose this is going to be the Sermon of Quotes today. Some of you know that I like to read fantasy books, and one of my favorite authors is Brandon Sanderson. 
And he wrote a young adult series called Alcatraz and the Evil Librarians. Apologize to the librarians out there. And it's a very tongue-in-cheek book. But in the last book, one of the characters, Bastille, is talking to the other main character, Alcatraz, who is feeling like an utter failure. And Bastille says this, Alcatraz is a hero. If you say otherwise, I will stab you. Just ask Alcatraz. You cannot imagine how many puncture wounds the man has had to endure. Alcatraz insists this day that he isn't a hero, despite frequent stabbings, not only because he is stupid, but because, as you've probably noticed, we may have saved the world, but we also failed in several large and important ways. And then she goes on to list all those ways, and I'm not going to name them all because it kind of provides some spoilers to the, to the book. But then she goes on. But I hope that you learn that heroes aren't perfect people. We aren't all powerful beings with absolute control. We are deeply flawed. We make mistakes. We act rashly. And sometimes we fail. Heroes, I think, are the people who get up and try anyway, even when we know the odds are stacked against us. Even when the world is broken beyond repair, we do our best to protect others, to keep bad things from happening, and to stand up to the people who cause destruction and pain, even when we don't entirely succeed at it. And then afterwards, we live with the consequences, which might be the hardest part of all. Now Alcatraz takes a few other words after Bastille lays out this, this grand soliloquy. And he says to the readers, the seed of the talent is inside you. And at times, it's going to come out and ruin things. But it's also part of what makes you special. I'm not always a good person, but I'm not just a coward either. Sometimes I'm heroic. Sometimes I'm selfish, and I'm all those things at once. I'm, well, a human being like you. And sometimes I repeat them. But maybe, maybe there's one thing that I finally learned. Sometimes the curse that you've seen as your greatest flaw can somehow also be your greatest advantage. Sometimes the curse you've seen as your greatest flaw can sometimes also be your greatest advantage. I think those are such wise words that there's a seed inside all of us, a gift that we have, many gifts that we have that make us special, and sometimes they trip us up. But we're not just those trip-ups, we're also all the good things and heroic things that we do as well. So I've taken five weeks to talk about how God has wired us differently. You remember all the way back to Noah and the flood with his special talent, Noah who didn't fit in with anyone and yet was able to do amazing and wonderful things to save humanity. He was a hero. You remember Moses who couldn't speak in front of other people. He had a speech impediment. He was convinced he couldn't do anything 
But he learned that just because you can't do one thing doesn't mean you can't do anything. And he was a hero. You remember David, who had many tragic flaws. King David, who took advantage of people and turned his back on God at times and made an awful lot of mistakes, but did an awful lot of things right when he turned back. And he was a hero. Remember all the prophets and John the Baptist who were full of all kinds of quirks that meant that they didn't fit in. They said things that made people uncomfortable, and yet they were heroes. And we remember Matthew, that all of his details, all of his quotes have become a blessing to each and every one of us. That even his genealogy, while we don't really love sitting and listening to it, is a blessing to us to see that God has been up to something big for a long time. And so I suppose maybe this is five weeks to say that it's okay to accept people as they are, instead of how we think they should be. It has been five weeks to say it's okay to accept ourselves as we are, rather than we think that we should be. Because we don't have to be God. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to always have it right and be successful at everything. Because we already have a God who loves us, who has created us fearfully and wonderfully, and is able to do some amazing and wonderful things through us, no matter how broken and weak we may be. For God's power is made perfect in weakness. Thanks be to God. Amen.